What does it mean to be spiritually healthy? What does it mean to be spiritually healthy? Well, to be physical health, physically healthy means that you've passed certain tests probably. Cholesterol, um, weight, all that kind of stuff that's not fun to talk about at all. So let's just forget that we even brought it up. But you've got certain metrics that you try and meet to be physically healthy. Well, what does it mean to be spiritually healthy? Well, to be spiritually healthy this morning, I would contend, and hopefully we've seen over the last month, to be spiritually healthy doesn't necessarily mean I pray this amount, or I read the Bible this amount, or I'm on this group at church, or that group on church. But to be spiritually healthy means that I love well. Because I can participate in spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. What I mean by that is I can read the Bible, I can pray, I can be involved in different church stuff. But if all of that is not producing something, I'm not spiritually healthy. In the book of 1 Corinthians, we've got the Apostle Paul writing to a church, you know, whole city, basically, all the Christians in Corinth, saying, hey, this is what's going on. He's talking to them about some tough issues, like speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues means to use a different language to talk to God, or sometimes a different language to talk to other people. And then he's also talking to them about the issue of prophecy, taking a message from God and delivering it to other people. Stuff that most of us would label as scary. And most of us would label also as super spiritual. So they're talking about this deep stuff. And Paul's trying to help lay out for them the healthy way of using these gifts and trying to lay out for them how these things should be evident in the church and how they shouldn't be evident. In the midst of this whole discussion, Right in the middle of it, he takes a paragraph that says, hold on a second. If you've got all of this stuff, but you don't have this, all of that stuff doesn't matter. And what's this? This is love. 1 Corinthians 13, who many of us think about a wedding probably, because that's where we hear it read most of the time. 1 Corinthians 13 isn't about marriage. It's actually talking about people in the church. He's right in the middle of talking to people in the church of how they should behave, how they should be living out their faith. And he just stops and says, hey, let me remind you of the most important attribute. Love is spiritual health. If I'm pursuing health spiritually, I have to be pursuing love. Because if I'm going to be healthy spiritually, what do I have to do? I've got to reflect the desires of God. I've got to reflect the character of God. And if the desire of God is what? Love God and love your neighbor. And I'm not pursuing love, how am I pursuing spiritual health? Love is essential. It is necessary. We see it mentioned here in 1 Corinthians 13. It's just reminded again that love is non-negotiable. He says in the opening verses of 1 Corinthians 13, basically verses 1 through 4, he basically says this, hey, you can have faith, you can talk in tongues, you can prophesy, but guess what? If you do all of that and you don't have love, all of that is meaningless. Well, all of that, he's talking about some pretty important stuff. He even mentioned faith. He says, if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. In other words, love is essential. Think about when you make macaroni and cheese. When you're making macaroni and cheese, you're not like, well, should I put butter in or not put butter in? You put butter in. And, and you get, you're eating the macaroni and cheese. When's the last time anybody ever said to you, well, thank you for putting in the butter? The reason they don't say thank you for putting in the butter is because what? They expect you to put in the butter. It's a necessity. 
Whereas when you're baking and you've got these things called nuts, I mean, and then there, somebody takes a bite, what do they usually say? Ew, why did you put these things in? Or somebody might say, well, thank you. But no one ever says, man, those nuts are essential for a good brownie or a good cookie. Why? Because nuts are just a little something extra put on the top that crazy people do. But they're not an essential ingredient. You see, butter is necessary for macaroni and cheese. Love, the Apostle Paul is saying, is essential. You you can't have Christianity without it. Because if you had Christianity without love, you wouldn't be reflecting Christ, who's at the center of Christianity. Love is essential. It is necessary. Look with me down to verse 13 in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, so now faith and hope and love abide. In other words, he's saying, hey, we've got faith as Christians, we've got hope as Christians, and and we've got love. He says, but the greatest of these is love. In other words, love is at the top. Remember when we were looking at Matthew 22 where Jesus says about all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor? In other words, Jesus was saying, hey, all of the Old Testament, it's the whole goal is this that people would love God and love their neighbor. And and if you don't love God and love your neighbor, guess what? The prophets and the law, they just crumble. If you don't have love, faith, and hope, they just crumble. Now, let's take it one step further. Jump back up to verse 8. Verse 8, love never ends. (laughs) That's just crazy to think about. At some point in our future, when we're in the kingdom of God or when we're in the new heavens and the new earth, you're not going to have faith anymore. It sounds weird to say, right? You're no longer going to need to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins because guess what? You're going to be fully in the presence of God. You're there. At that point, you're not going to have hope because there's going to be nothing better to hope for. You're in the best. But in the midst of that, guess what we are going to have? We're going to have love. Why? Because as 1 John 4 says, God is love. And the reason that we're going to have love for eternity is that within the Trinity, now we're getting real deep here for a moment. When we say God, we mean Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the Bible teaches that the Trinity, God is love, so Father, Son, Holy Spirit, basically what it is, is it's a reciprocal relationship of love continually between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's existed for eternity. And now we're seeing here that love never ends. Why? Because when we enter into the new kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth, we step into that intimate relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We're stepping into a love relationship. So there's going to be love that exists forever. It just elevates it that much more to say, this is it. You're going to have it with you. You're going to continue to experience it in perfection. Love is essential. Love is necessary. Well, if love is essential, love is necessary, it brings us to one simple question. What does love do? What does a debit card do? Anybody, what does a debit card do? Wrong. A debit card cleans your window. Has no one ever used a debit card as an ice scraper? 
Are you serious, people? Raise your hand if you've used your debit card as a... Raise your hand if you've used your credit card as an ice scraper. Okay, I see the willingness more to use that instead. But for some of us, when I say debit card, we've got certain things that come into our mind of what a debit card does. Well, what does love do? When we say love does, some of us have certain things that come into our mind. The question is, are those things guided by the Word of God, of how God defines love? Well, let's look and see, what does love do? Look with me at verse 4 in 1 Corinthians 13. We begin to get a description, begins to lay out. He says, love is patient and kind. Maybe you've got a really old Bible version with you this morning. In the old King James Version, it says, love suffereth longeth. Because this word patience is not meaning you sit at a stoplight really nicely and don't honk at the person in front of you when they're texting. What it's saying here about patience, it's saying this, it means suffering longeth means this. Someone's been doing harm to you and you put up in the midst of it for a long time without exacting revenge, even though you have the ability to do it. So you're willing to suffer over a long period of time. That's, that's patience. Patience is relational. That in a relationship, I'm, I'm willing to, to put up with certain things for the sake of the relationship. So love means this, to, to pursue the good of the other, even when the other does not deserve it. Look with me here in 1 Corinthians 13 as it goes on. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. In other words, love doesn't produce ill thoughts and ill behavior towards others. Because what does love do? Love seeks the good of others. So to love someone is to seek their good. Now this gets complicated. This gets messy because when we love someone, it doesn't necessarily mean that what? They're going to love us in return. And then here's the other point, we're going to get to this in a few moments again, is this. Love does not mean that things are going to be perfected. So I might be pursuing someone's good, trying to do what's best for them. But guess what? That doesn't mean that everything's going to work out. They might not accept that love. Not only that, but in the midst of difficulty, Satan and the flesh, the relationship might ultimately not be healed. But because the end result doesn't, isn't going to be perfect doesn't mean that I can't not, not love. I'm not sure if any of that sentence just made sense. Just because the end result is not going to be perfection does not give me an out to stop loving. Love pursues the good of the other. Love does not act upon those feelings of vengeance. And then look with me, if you would, at verse 6 and on. I mean, verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In other words, you could probably simply say this. Love remains in relationship. Love remains in relationship. Well, when things get tough and somebody says harsh words against you, when we love someone, what do we do? We remain in that relationship. Now, this does not mean that we remain in relationships that are harmful. We see this from Jesus all the time. Jesus is in a crowd, and the crowd is going to hurt him. What does Jesus do? He pulls out. He leaves the town. 
So it's not like if you're in a harmful relationship, God's saying not to stay in that relationship at all. You can leave the relationship and still be loving. How? By not enacting vengeance. So when Jesus left the communities that he was in that were trying to hurt him, Jesus didn't walk away and then say, Father, bring a lightning bolt down on them. He didn't act upon vengeance. So if you're in an unhealthy relationship or you know someone who's in an unhealthy relationship, we can still be loving and not be in that relationship. And sometimes it's necessary to not be in that relationship because it's harmful to you or to others. But we can still be loving because we can remain faithful in what? Seeking to do good for that person by not being vengeful. So what does love do? Love seeks the good of the other. Love seeks to remain with others, even in the midst of difficulty. So how about you this morning? Are you seeking the good of other people? Not are you not doing any harm. That's different. It's different to say, I'm not hurting anyone, versus I'm seeking to do someone good. Love is not neutral. Love is not just the absence of evil, but it is the presence of what? Kindness. Look back up to verse 4. Love is patient and kind. So if you're loving someone, what are you doing? You're seeking to extend kindness to them. To what? Give them what they need. Work for their good. To love is to work for someone's good. If love is working for someone's good, if love is seeking to remain in relationship, we have to be reminded of what love does not do. As this has already been mentioned a little bit, love does not perfect everything. This might sound kind of weird. You might think, well, he's talking on both sides of his mouth. One side he's saying, hey, love is necessary and essential, but yet love doesn't perfect everything. Look with me if you would here in 1 Corinthians 13. Down there to uh, verse 12. Or verse 10, we'll start at verse 10. He says, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. What he's getting to here is he's saying, hey, right now you're prophesying and you're speaking in tongues, and those things won't be needed when the kingdom comes in its fullness because the will of God will be perfectly, completely revealed. And you'll be in perfection. And so there won't be any little bit of misunderstandings. There won't be anything. It'll be, everything will be perfect. But he, look as he goes on here. Verse 12, he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. He's pointing, painting a picture here of saying, everything right now is not perfect. It's not all set up exactly the way it's going to end up. You've kind of got just a one perspective right now. You're going to get the full perspective at the coming kingdom of God. And he's saying this even in the midst of saying love. Love does not perfect everything. And this is where it gets frustrating for some of us. As we really start to get stressed out, and then we start to feel guilty. Because we're like, a pastor said to love, and I'm loving. But it's not getting any easier. It's actually getting more difficult. And so then we stop loving, and we still feel guilty for stop loving. we got to go in understanding that love is not going to perfect everything. You, you can go home today, and you can start to love your coworker or to love your neighbor. That doesn't mean that's going to be a perfect relationship. 
because you don't know how they're going to respond and you don't know the effect that sin is having on everything. But even though there's not perfection, we continue to love. Love does not perfect everything. The second thing that our love does not do is our love for God is not the basis for our relationship with God. Our love is not the basis for our relationship with God. In other words, God does not say, hey, when you love me, we can then have a relationship. Our relationship with God is determined by our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's initiated by God's love. So turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. During this sermon series, you may have heard me saying, love, love, love. And this morning you might be hearing me saying, yeah, we've got to love. That's what it's all about. All about love, love, love. You can miss the, the, whole, the whole thing if you think that your love is going to make you right with God. God does not love you because you love. Look with me at Ephesians 5. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You want to memorize something besides our great hand actions that we have going on? Is memorize this right here. This summarizes it, right? It basically says the same thing that we've been talking about. I am the beloved of God. That's what it's saying right here. You are what? As the beloved children. You're not a child of God because you loved first. You're a child of God because God loved you first. And if you're having a difficult time loving others right now, you know where you need to look? Is you need to say this. Do I understand the love that God has for me? Do I understand the depth? of God's love for me, that God would send his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for me, an enemy of God. And when you understand yourself as an enemy of God, who God loved and then made his child, guess what? That frees you to begin to love other people who are your enemies. Because now you're like, wow, if God loved me, someone who sins, someone who does this and that, how can I not love them? You are a beloved child of God, not because you loved, but because God loved you. God loves you, and now what does he say? So walk in love. Be an imitator of God's love. God initiates with love. God leads with love. And now God wants to be in a reciprocal relationship of love with us. Our love does not start the relationship. Our love is not the basis for the relationship. But our love brings us into a healthy relationship with God. To be a healthy Christian is to be in a reciprocal relationship of love with God the Father. Because God has first loved you. So this morning, are you spiritually healthy? I'm not asking how many times you pray. I'm not asking how often you read your Bible. Are you loving? 
do you love your neighbor? Are you seeking to do good for your neighbor? We're spiritually healthy when we live as the beloved, when we live as people who are loved by God, who now love God and love our neighbors as God has loved us. Let's do it one more time. This is the last time, I promise. Unless there's some grumpy people. All right, here we go. I am the beloved of God. Therefore, with all that I am, all that I have, love God and love people. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you for loving us first. Thank you for establishing a relationship with us by sending your son Jesus to die. God, thank you. We praise you this morning for your love. And we ask now, O Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would burn in our hearts and in our minds that you, God, would put within us a desire to love. Lord, we pray now this morning for anyone that's in a difficult situation where they're trying to do good for another, but they're struggling. This morning, Lord, I pray that you'd overwhelm them with your love that they could pass that on. This morning, Lord, I pray for anyone who's struggling to receive your love. God, I ask that you'd awaken them this morning. God, I ask that you would use your spirit to give them a fresh sense and a fresh taste of your love. Overwhelm us this morning, O oh Lord, with your love. And I pray now that you would use us to overwhelm others with love in the days ahead. God, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.